Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Royal Strong and True Podcast. We are very excited to be with you this week. We're always excited the week after a BYU victory. Recap with us week three of college football, where BYU beat Arkansas, and there was some other chaos going on that we have to talk about as well. We'll do some housekeeping with some other BYU sports that are happening and give you a week four preview of BYU at Kansas and the absolutely loaded slate that exists for week four. Before we get into the episode, make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter at Loyal2RoyalPod, where you'll find lots of fun and interactive content, lots of funny memes that are getting people all riled up. Make sure you're visiting our website, RoyalStrongAndTrue.com, where you'll find Jared's weekend watch guides and other content as well. Make sure you leave a review for the episode if you enjoyed it. We appreciate that very much. Without further ado, let's get into it. Let's boo. Go Tigers. But that field judge on the far side is in their pocket, man. Go over here, that's right! Let's back this booler. Yeah! <laughs> let's go wild. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Welcome back, everybody. Whoa, big Yeah, Oh, Jared just got out of his motorhome. He's driving around. He's got his warthog on the grill. Oh, my goodness. What's, what you doing still in this house, Jared? Uh, I don't know, but I had to catch this raccoon that was in the ballpark with my bare hands and uh, drink beer out of a glizzy, as they call them these days. Uh, I don't know, but welcome back to... <laughs> The best podcast. Uh, we're back from Arkansas. Neither of us were actually there, but we're back. Um, and BYU won another football game. We're going to get into that. Uh, but you know what time it is. Very first thing, we got to get some housekeeping out of the way. Oh, heck yeah. Uh, and today I have a little history alert. So, oh, um, in the tell. annals of history, it, is, yep. it mm-hmm. has been recorded that Justin is the top bowler in uh, in Royal Strong and True History. Wait, what? Uh, I don't know. Somewhere it, it is written. It, probably just because you beat me every time we go. But uh, I will say, I bowled the best that I've ever bowled yesterday. Nice. Uh, well, Monday, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, I bowled a 174. Look was, at you, Jared. It was amazing. I just had to clap myself on the back for that one. Um yeah, go me. I was very proud of it. I followed it up with a round of exactly 100. So nice. Yeah. Um, Regression to the mean. All the juice in that one. Oh, uh, but yeah, you know, we uh, we love bowling and I'm just very happy that uh, I bowled a 174. So yeah, that's it. Yeah. In case you were wondering, like our sports hierarchy, right? You know, you sure you got football, you got basketball, you got soccer, rugby, you got all these sports out there, right? And maybe for our brother Dan, soccer comes in at a strong number two. But for Jared and I, I think it's football number one, bowling number two. <laughs> and then our lists differ from after that. Uh, yeah, bowling is definitely high on the list. I will say I did record this at the Wilk 
Um, and we all know how the lanes are at the Wilk. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Not exactly top notch. Uh, but yes, bowling is very fun. We got our very own Pete Weber Jr. in the making. <laughs> Who do you think you are? I am. Yeah, I looked over at like the three freshman girls that were bowling in the lane next to me and just screamed at them at the top of my lungs. It was great. They're probably scared out of their minds. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. Whoa. And I had a beard to go with it. And so, you know, it's a very, very chilling scene in there. A beard? Jared, how do they let you on campus? You don't belong on the Lord's holy campus with a beard. I know. I definitely don't now that Reese is the president. Yeah. Uh, I'm got to hurry and graduate before they kick me out of here. <laughs> Can I just say it's awesome and like the new like grooming rules. Of course, you know, still no beards, which is dumb as heck. But can we say how cool it is to see BYU players running around with dreads coming out of the helmet? Yes, they can finally they finally play with dreads. Imagine Jamal Williams if that rule was around back then. Like it's it's awesome. It's a cool sight to see. Hopefully we don't get any uh do you remember like a couple years ago when the Penn State fans wrote in to James Franklin and were like, this is unbefitting to see players with dreadlocks, blah, blah, blah. And then he just like slapped them back in the face. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure as soon as we have a player that's got big, long dreads, we're going to get at least a couple of those emails. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, the the Cougarettes can't dance to slob on my knob, so... <laughs> Which is, is still the funniest thing ever that that's the song that it was of all songs. Right. Anyway. It's so funny. Anyway, yeah, let's move on. Talk about sports. Yeah, we're, we're getting too much into the football nitty gritty. Let's talk about football. Uh, let's talk about that soccer game. Um, question. Yes. What is going on with BYU women's soccer? They had a strong start to the season, jumped out to number one for the first time in program history, then opened up Big 12 play with a 3-3 tie at home versus TCU, that they had to come back for the tie, and a 1-0 loss to Utah State, who's not even that good, dropping us from number one to number six. Number six, still respectable, but what the heck is going on with our team, the fact that we're tying and losing versus teams that we should be beating by three-plus goals? Jared, I, I I can't hear you. If you can hear me, we got some mic problems live on. Yeah. We're back. We got you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we love this very professional organization here. Obviously, um, no. See, I don't get. Uh, I I don't really understand what's going on. Jared, it disconnected again. Microphone, you're going to the bathroom. Toilet, swirly for you. All right. Um, can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. Uh-huh. It might be lower quality, but guess what? At least it won't cut out. So, all right. Disgusting. Um, anyway, as I was saying, um, <laughs> three three tie with TCU. I get it. It's your very first ever Big Twelve game. TCU used to run this place. We beat them in the preseason poll by one point, not one vote, one point. Um, so very, very close. They're very, very good. They weren't ranked at the time, but they're a very good football team, um, football team. Uh, but the Utah State one, I do not understand. This is BYU, right? We're talking like just shots out the wazoo, like 20 shots per half, like these ridiculous numbers, right? We didn't score a single goal and much like we only had 12 shots. Only six of them were on frame. 
Like this is not the BYU soccer that we're accustomed to seeing. Um, the defense for Utah State, like granted to them, they played pretty well. They had 11 shots for on goal. But for BYU, only getting 12 shots off and only having six of them on frame, like at, yes, the keeper blocked six shots. That's that's great for her, but we should be scoring way more than zero goals on 12 shots, right? Both of those numbers should be very, very uh, much, much higher. Uh, and so it's very interesting to see that happen. And I hope that it is an anomaly and not something that will carry off into the rest of Big 12 play. Yeah, no, I like you said, the TCU one is understandable. You know, they came back, they made the tie, you know, they did what they needed to do. But that Utah State one is inexcusable. You can't be losing to the redheaded stepchild. That is absolutely disgusting. Hopefully BYU women's soccer can get back on track this week. They are still ranked number six. The sky has not fallen. They are still well within Big 12 contention and national contention. This might just be, you know, like I want to say what a month and a half ago, two months ago, the BYU women's soccer, their coach came out and said, I don't want my team to be ranked yet because I don't want it to get to their head. Maybe this was the, it got to their head moment. They need this. It's a wake up call and they'll play better for the rest of the season. I, I hope you're right because they definitely need it. They got a two game road trip in Texas. They play at Baylor on Thursday at Texas on Monday, and then they come back home. Then they go on the road. So like big 12 season, it starts now, right? They had the little TCU warm up, uh, but now it's all big 12 games from here on out. So there is no room for error for the girls. Uh, but like you said, the sky's not falling. Uh, it is fallen a little bit, uh, but we're fine. We're fine. Let's see how this road trip goes. And we'll reassess next week. One team that is not struggling is women's volleyball. They already got their early struggles out of the way. They they got humbled, and now they are playing well. Uh, BYU women's volleyball moved up to number 10 in the rankings this week after defeating UVU and Utah State 3-0. All right. I, I, mean, I love that. You can't do much better than that. They also, in one of those sets against UVU, they won 25-8. So uh, fairly dominant. <laughs> that is absolutely gross. I can't believe they did that. That's abuse. Um. Anyway, their first Big 12 game is today. If you're listening to this on the right day, the day that it came out, September 20th, they will be hosting number 20 ranked Houston. And then on Saturday, September 23rd, they have number 18 Baylor at home. I didn't include this in the script, but fun fact, they then play Texas twice. So they have four ranked matchups in a row. Yeah, and these are huge, huge games. ESPN2 is where you can watch tonight's game, Wednesday night against Houston. Uh, ESPN Plus for Saturday versus number 18, Baylor. I will be producing that game, so uh, call me and phone me with all of the broadcast difficulties. Hopefully it won't be as bad as the college football broadcast this last week. Those were atrocious, but we'll get to that later. And then the Texas games will be on FS1 as well. So um, be looking out for those for those games, they're big games. Like they're being picked up on these big networks, right? These aren't just, you know, you're locked away on BYU TV games. These are big time games for this women's volleyball program. Uh, and it'll go a lot to set the tone for the rest of the season, how they fare in these first couple of games against highly ranked opponents. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is kind of your measuring stick. You right now decide whether or not you want to be a contender in the big 12, or you want to just be middle of the pack. 
BYU women's volleyball has the talent to win this league. Let's see if they can put it together. Hopefully they do. Definitely. And I, and I think they can. They have a very good team. They just need to get a little bit more contribution from people other than Aaron Livingston. Um, but I think it's coming together well. Uh, and if they can pull out at least two wins in the next four, four matches, uh, I think they'll be, I think they'll be set and in a good spot. Yeah, I agree. That puts them in a pretty good spot. Lastly, our last little housekeeping item. We just want to give you guys a quick update, uh, just because it's so near and dear to our hearts, a little update on our social media. If you're not following us on Instagram and Twitter at loyal to Royal pod, what are you doing? Make sure you're following us at loyal to Royal pod. We'll find lots of fun and interactive content. We were stuck for a long time at 178 followers for like a year and a half. <laughs> um, our goal was to reach 200 followers. Over the past two weeks, we've amassed over 50 new followers. We are now Woo! at 236. You guys are eating up the memes. The Sam Houston one has got over 600 likes, lots of hate comments. Arkansas one has 100 likes. It has self-righteous people like saying that this is inappropriate for us to make fun of a team and you have people that are crying because i don't know for whatever reason that are oklahoma fans that are commenting on this no clue why lots of fun stuff is happening on the instagram and the twitter so make sure you're checking it out at loyal to royal pod and our website royalstrongandtrue.com where you'll find jared's weekend watch guides yes and uh, those weekend watch guides they come out every single thursday go to the website go to the page and you'll find it there on thursdays uh i will tweet them out on saturday mornings but if you want to catch the little tidbits for the thursday and friday games you got to go check it out on the website all right shall we move on to the game that byu played uh i would love to because it was a game it was a football game it was a game it it, it was a game um they're uh they, we we are back to being the cardiac cougs is that uh -huh. is is that fair to say, I think? Yep, that's absolutely fair to say. Uh, we won 38-31. Still trying to understand how that happened, how we did that. I I don't know. Let's take it away. I mean, we're not going to do knee-jerk. We're not going to do after letting us two. We're going to do something a little bit different. What we did like and what we did not like. Uh, but, Justin, give me your, like, initial thoughts first before we get into the, the nitty-gritty. Oh man, like this game was crazy. I mean, we were, I was, we weren't unfortunately able to watch the game together this week, but I was, we were texting each other and I was blowing up everyone's phones. But yeah, we start off that game down 14 0, giving off a punt return touchdown. And I was just absolutely beside myself, about to turn off the television saying, this is a dumpster fire. Next thing I know, it's a tie game and we're throwing trick plays back into it. <laughs> and, I was like, this is BYU. This is BYU starting off slow, shooting yourself in the foot, doing some trickery that, you know, people can call it trick plays all they want, but it's actually like pretty good coaching. You have to be very situationally aware when to call those plays and when not to. <coughs> Kelly Papinga. <coughs> um, <laughs> you know, so I don't know. This, this game was crazy. It was a dumpster fire. It was a beautiful disaster. It's kind of like, like uh what was it like 2015 or whatever when that uh that what is it the new year's is that what it is yeah the the new year's day show over the san diego ocean all of the fireworks accidentally went off all at once it was a disaster but it was beautiful 
That's what this game was. A disastrous display of fireworks that was as bright and gorgeous as the noonday sun. Uh, that is a very apt description because it did feel like everything that could have happened in this game happened. Uh, Arkansas came out of the gate so huge. Uh, one interesting thing from that very first play, Malik Moore took one of the worst angles I've ever seen a safety take, and he did not see the field again. Uh, he did not <laughs> make the starting like position on the roster, uh, so that's interesting. Um, Crew Wakely earlier in the series went down with a head injury. Um, so we don't really know how well he's feeling like if he's going to really play. Uh, so that safety position is looking like very thin right now. Uh Um, we'll, we'll get to a little bit more about what that means, but that kind of set the tone. I think, uh, I, I applaud our guys. This is one of the things that I did like is how resilient we were. Like we got down by double digits within the first 90 seconds of the game. It felt like right first two and a half minutes but our guys kept fighting and they came back they kept putting together drive after drive consistent play after consistent play uh making big plays too one-handed catches uh breaking tackles outrunning sec talent in quotation marks to the end zone lj martin for president uh but that was one thing i liked and then it happened again in the second half uh we got down by 10 points or whatever it was but our guys kept fighting and we kept staying like mentally in the game. We didn't press too hard. We didn't make stupid mistakes. We didn't make that many stupid mistakes. Um, and and we just we we fought like I and I was very proud of us on the road in that kind of environment, not giving up, not just wilting like we saw them doing this exact same game last year. Uh, just that resiliency was really really key. I think in in having the game end up the way it did. Yeah, I mean, like, and what Jared is referencing there is. You know, we were down 14-0, tied it up at 14-14. Then we find ourselves down 31-21, to and then we score 17 unanswered points to finish the game off. Like, that's a resiliency that I have not seen in BYU in a while, especially last year or in years past when you go down in a game versus Boise State or something at home. You don't know how much you have to fight for that season things just kind of give up and wilt away. That is not what we saw from this BYU team. We saw a BYU team that was fully engaged, that wanted this game more than Arkansas did. They were gang tackling, flying to the ball, making plays on offense, doing what they needed to do. This was honestly a very impressive display from BYU. It really was. Uh, There were a couple things that weren't as impressive, though. Um, One of the things that I did not like was the running game. Now, LJ Martin started, which was a good move because on that run that he he busted, that 45-yard run, that was awesome. And we saw his speed. He has power five speed. Like, he outran legitimately everybody on the Arkansas side of the ball. I, When the play started, uh, we were behind my dad a little bit. My dad was upstairs. We were all watching in the basement. And we heard Kevin, like, yelling and stomping. And we're like, oh, boy, what's going to happen? We either fumble or score a touchdown. You see LJ Martin break the run, and I was like, he's got a fumble, right? Because there's no way he breaks this. And then he just accelerates like a Tron like car, like just all the way down the field, outruns him. That was super impressive, and that was awesome. However, that was a 45-yard run. We ran the ball 31 times for 77 yards. If you take out that one 45-yard run, we had 30 rush attempts. For 32 yards, 
which is 1.07 yards per carry. That, <laughs> that is abysmal. Even if you do count the 45-yard run, that's still only 2.5 yards per carry. I don't know what we're doing in the run game, but it needs to change. There's no chance that we can keep winning games like this with 2.5 yards per carry. If we do, I will barbecue a banana and eat it in one bite. I don't know. But there's no chance that you can continue winning games only having like one explosive rush play and all the other ones go for one yard of carry. Yeah, no, that's absolutely ridiculous. One yard per carry, there's no excuse for that. That's just absolutely abysmal. Something needs to change, whether it's our running scheme. And, you know, we did see a little bit of a change at right tackle. You saw Etienne start the game. He promptly came out of the game, but is now starting this next game as well, which is kind of interesting. We've seen Etienne come in and out, in and out, in and out. Apparently, uh, Funk really believes in his raw talent and raw potential. But something needs to change along the offensive line, or if it's not the offensive line, the running scheme, if we want to succeed. Like Jared's saying, you cannot sustainably win football games like that. We were outgained by Arkansas in practically every statistical category on offense. Passing yards, total yards, running yards, everything. They outdid us in everything, and we won that game by seven points. That is absolutely nuts. Now, credit where credit's due. Arkansas's punter sucks. Balls! He was shanked. Yeah, he was shanking balls left and right. He, I mean, he literally has a pair of Rocky Mountain oysters for a foot. Like, it was it was bad. But because of that, BYU had shorter fields, so of course we were going to have less yards to gain than Arkansas did because Raycow was consistently putting them within the 10-yard line, which he's an absolute beast, right, Raycow? This was an – I don't know. This was just – we need to do better running the ball. We need to do better passing the ball too because we did have some explosive passing plays, but overall, Jared, what was your impression of Keaton Slovis and his accuracy in this game? Uh, I thought there were times where it shone, uh, like the pass to Chase Roberts, the pass to Isaac Rex, um, the pass to Keelan Marion down the sideline. Like these are some of the best throws I've seen a quarterback make. Uh, and and he, I, I'm going to say this, a lot of people disagree. He didn't get a lot of help from his receivers. They weren't getting a lot of separation. Uh Cody Epps played, which we weren't expecting, um, and a ball hit him right in the face, uh, and he didn't catch it. Darius Lassiter had a ball go off of his chest. Um, Keaton Slovis was 13 of 25, though. You can't chalk up 12 incompletions to to your wide receivers. I I still believe in Keaton. I think he's an amazing quarterback. Uh, but the passing game, like you said, was not perfect. We only threw for 167 yards. Like, that's, you know, that's, that's not good. I mean, I guess you – through for over 200 if you count the Parker Kingston throw um which that was awesome uh yeah. but Keaton only threw for 170 like he whether it's the offense or whether it's him uh that needs to improve because you can't get away with your quarterback with 170 pass yards and your whole entire run game with 77 yards like I'm sorry that's not gonna win you football games I don't know how like you look that's at not the- gonna score you 38 points right like you this is not sustainable this was a great game it was a great win we won field position we won uh stupid mistakes our defense was incredible we'll get to that a little bit later 
But this offense is not good enough to win more football games like this. No, yeah. It, offense totally needs to improve. Keaton Slovis, I don't I, I will say, like, the first maybe three or four drives of this game, he was missing guys. He was missing high. Um, he did miss Isaac Rex a couple of times. But towards the end of the game, when he got his feet under him and he got settled, he was playing very well. Like you were saying, Jared, and the commentators commented on this multiple times, BYU's wide receivers were not getting any separation. It's hard to make throws. There are many throws that he put on the money. The defender was just right there to break it up because you can't do much when the defender's only half a yard off your gap. He did throw that beautiful ball down the sideline. He did throw a couple really good balls to Isaac Rex. He kind of got bailed out on that Chase Roberts and another one of Isaac Rex's big catch. But that's the thing. Even if you're getting bailed out, you're still putting it in a catchable position for the wide receiver. If you can do that and you have dudes like we have in Isaac Rex, Chase Roberts, Keanu Hill, Cody Epps, that's a recipe for success. So I would like to see Keaton Slovis continue to do that. I hope that his feet are under him now. And I hope that he is confident in himself because it seems like when he is, he is one of the most accurate passers we have had at BYU in the last decade. He needs to get his stuff together because like you were saying though, there might be a name Parker Kingston that is getting ready to replace him with a one for one, one touchdown passing record on his career. (laughs) 100.0 QBR. Yeah. That, that was awesome. It was the perfect time to run that play. Like at, I guess I want to talk a little bit about A-Rod because I was very, very frustrated during the game with the play calling. Mm -hmm. It feels like if we don't gain two to three yards on first down, A-Rod just punts, right? He just, he runs dumb, dumb plays for, you know, like, oh, we're going to set this up. We're going to set this up and then just punt, right? And I hate that because it feels like we don't try on like two thirds of our drives, a third of our drives, right? It was very frustrating. However, he was very opportune when he did call certain plays. Like the screen pass, the Kingston was perfect. The uh, pass play, the trick play, right, was perfect. Um, but, I, like, I, I don't know. I've seen a lot on Twitter about how perfect the game uh, A-Rod called, how well he did. But I, I was not impressed. I feel like our guys weren't put in a position to succeed most of the time. Uh, and they did despite uh, the play calling. Um, I don't know what your read was on this, though. Um, I, I'd love to hear your personality because, like I said, I – I just I was not very impressed. I felt like we were uh, not being as aggressive as we probably should have been. Yeah, you know, I can definitely agree with the fact that we it feels like we give up on drive sometimes. That I can absolutely agree with. I will not say, however, that A-Rod called a bad game. I think he called a pretty good game. I think he did a pretty good job of setting things up. Like I was saying, those trick plays don't just work because the defense is dumb. This is Division One football. These guys are disciplined. They know what they're doing. Defenses are good. In order for a trick play to work, you have to set it up, and they did a very good job of setting that up. They did a good job of getting Parker Kingston involved when none of the other wide receivers could get anything else done. He did a good job of getting L.J. Martin started at the beginning towards the end was questionable. 
I do want to see because I'm I'm not mad about his third day third down play calling. Actually, we did a pretty good job. We can we converted on third down at a pretty good clip, but his first down play calling is what to me leaves more to desire. When it comes to first down rushing percentage or or first down rushing success rate, I think we only rush on average for like 1.8 yards per carry on first down. That is not enough to get you in a favorable play calling distance. You know, you always try to shorten the field, shorten the distance to the first down marker. You don't want to be in second and long. You don't want to be in third and long. You try to make it manageable. We haven't been doing that on first down. So that's where I would like to see the biggest change from A-Rod is figuring out our first down play calling. Because other than that, I personally feel that he did a pretty good job. Uh, I agree. Like first down needs to be better, but also when we don't get those yards on second and third down, we need to try to still get the first down. Let's not run these five yards out, you know, five yard routes on third and nine or run a draw play on second and 11. Like I, I just feel like it, it, I don't know. And I guess if the O-line was blocking better and we were running the ball better and these plays had more success than they are having, we wouldn't be having this discussion, right? Like, if he called the exact same plays and we executed at a higher level, it wouldn't matter, right? Because we'd be getting first down. So maybe it's more on the players as well. Like, like we said, the O-line definitely needs to do better. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is the fake. Um, I hate, and I've been saying this for years, why on earth is some scrub special teams player, I don't care if he's the best punter in America, why is a punter holding the ball on field goals. You need to have a playmaker of some sort holding the ball on field goals. Can you imagine if we had Parker Kingston holding the ball on field goal attempts? Then when you ran a fake, it would actually work, and our punter wouldn't just run straight into the first butthole he sees. It happens every (laughs) stinking time, whether it's a fake punt or a fake field goal now. he runs. The punters are all the same. They just want to hit something because they don't hit anything ever except the ball. And so he ran straight into his alignment. But if you put a real playmaker holding the ball, whether that's Jake Retzlaff, Cade Finnegan, uh, LJ Martin, or Par- Parker Kingston, I don't freaking care who it is. Put somebody that like is a, an actual playmaker holding the football so that when you run a fake field goal, you can actually ex- succeed and have a chance to succeed because I guarantee you that play works. Might even score a touchdown if Parker Kingston is holding the ball there. He definitely hits the hole. The hole was wide open. But Rico is slow, and he's a punter, and he's addicted to running into people's butts, apparently. Um, so I, that's something that I will forever yell about. And Bill Belichick can go on his 10-minute tirades about why you need a specific player to hold the ball. I don't care. You need a playmaker if you're going to run fakes, if you don't plan on running fakes at all, then it's fine to have Rico there holding it. But if you're going to run fakes, you need to have somebody competent holding the football. I just need to get that off my chest. I've been sitting on that one for three days. Uh, Felt good to get it out. (laughs) No, I mean, that's the thing. Like when it comes to calling that fake, it was actually a really good call. The offensive line blocked it very well. The hole was wide open for 15 to 20 yards. Like, I or Jared or Dan or any of our grandmothers 
probably could have hit that hole and got 15 yards. <laughs> Ryan Rikau literally just ran into the first butthole he saw. Like, like you're saying, like he just wanted to stick his head right up our offensive lineman's butt. Made no sense. The one thing I will say is Kelly Papinga in an interview uh, either today or yesterday said that this will not be the last fake that BYU runs. They like running fakes. They like it situationally. Expect more fakes. Given that our track record is now 0 for 2 and a terrible 0 for 2 at that, not even getting close, how, how do you feel? Um, <laughs> uh, I don't love that. I don't hate it. But I don't love it given our success rate is 0 for 2. And like you said, probably like negative 1 for 2. Um, if you're going to run a fake, you got to freaking run the fake right. Like, do it right and do it well. I, I hope we don't see it again. I hope we're never in that position. But if we do see it again, I just hope that it's completed. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that went wrong in that game. There's a lot of things that went right. At least our special teams wasn't as bad as number 62's penalty yards against. (laughs) I mean, I can say that at the very least, right? Oh, yes. Well, we saved the best for last. Um, Let's talk about BYU's defense in this game because the defense we saw today was very different from the BYU defense we saw versus Arkansas in LaBelle Edwards Stadium a year ago. It really was. The defense won us the game. I don't care how many points you score. I don't care that we scored 38 points. That defense is the reason we won the game. And like you said, there were – Arkansas had four, what was it, 14 penalties for 125 yards. Um, that – like, yes, they made a lot of mistakes, especially like Paul Stark and stuff, but our defensive line, our linebackers, like we caused a lot of those holdings. We are the ones putting pressure on them. We brought a freaking corner blitz and got a sack. A A strip sack. A strip sack. Incredible. Tyler Batty won Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week. He was awesome. Uh, Our our defense played incredible. Yes, we gave up 31 points. Yes, seven of it came on on a punt return. And another seven came off of a terrible angle from a safety. And just they ran the ball off to the side that we were blitzing from. Like, our defense was so good. I was in love with watching the defense. It was fun to watch the defense. It wasn't just nerve-wracking all the time. And guess what? When you're aggressive, you get home sometimes. And that's exactly what we did. And it was incredible. Shout out to Jay Hill. A complete 180 from last year. Yeah, I mean, sure. This defense allowed 30 – I mean – This defense itself, right, allowed 24 points. But, you know, 24 points, you know, seven points from special teams, all this stuff, you know, whatever. This is a team, Arkansas, that scored 50-plus points on us in Provo last year. Like, there was a time in that game where I think Arkansas was 10 of 12 on third down. There was a point in this game where Arkansas was 2 of 12 on third down. And they finished 2 of 13. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely insane. I have no clue how that happened. Like, we're it seems like a whole cultural shift. Because, yes, we brought a corner blitz. It got home. Yeah, duh. But, like, we're getting pressure only bringing four guys. 
Our defensive linemen are playing nasty. They're ripping guys off of them. They're getting to the backfield, and they're closing the pocket. That is something you never saw at BYU last year. If you had a three-man rush or a four-man rush, the quarterback was going to have all day back there. But now, against Arkansas, one of the better offensive lines in the SEC, we were getting home with only four. That is absolutely insane to me. It, I, I will say this, yes. Like, we got pressure bringing four. That's something that hasn't happened before in a very long time, especially uh, at BY, like, especially uh, under Kalani, right? Um, absolutely just hands down amazing performance from the defense to put a bow on it. We have four freaking sacks in one game. Four sacks in a single game. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. We went all of October last year without registering a sack. Like, oh my goodness. And it was against an SEC team. So huge, huge shout out to the defense. Four sacks, six TFLs, two turnovers. Turnovers that came at huge points. We stopped them on a fourth and half a yard. Like, I can't say enough about the defense. Yes, Arkansas has their own problems. Their O-line, can't, you know, can't run the ball very well. We absolutely – the defense won the day. They they more than made up for our terrible run offense. And I'm very excited to see the defense improve, if we can say healthy, right, improve as we get to know the system more, we get to know each other more, we build chemistry and build culture. Uh, this defense is only going to get better. And uh, we, we'll need it because we're heading into a uh, Big 12 that likes to score a lot of points, unless you're Iowa State. <laughs> oh, gosh, Iowa State or Oklahoma State. I mean, one thing you got to recognize is that we not only got the four sacks and we got the two turnovers, but we also forced another fumble on top of that. Like, we forced two fumbles on KJ Jefferson alone in the pocket. Our guys came around. Uh, Eddie Heckard had one of them. I don't remember who had the other. It might have been Tyler Batty that popped it out. But we were getting to the backfield. We were causing turnovers. We caused that interception because he was kind of falling back as he threw it. Max Tooley intercepted that thing, almost took it back for six. Like, we were playing well, and we had a chance at another interception, too, a game-sealing interception, but Jacob Robinson, apparently, on the sideline, had dipped both of his hands in five gallons of concrete and took his concrete bucket hands onto the field. That was, I swear, I was, I don't know what I was going to do, but it was not going to be a you know, kosher with the honor code because he almost <laughs> lost us the game. Yeah. We lost the game. It would have been literally on his hands. That was <laughs> yeah. the worst. It was a freaking punt. It was a Jake Heaps throw. It was a duck. Like it, there's no, I, that one just blows my mind. Blows my mind how he dropped that. Luckily it didn't matter, but my only question is, how do you go from Sam Houston making two incredible interceptions to dropping that? Like, are you kidding me? Like, if I put a five-year-old toddler out there, they probably could have caught that ball. And they drop almost everything that's thrown to them. <laughs> that was insane. I mean, Jacob Robinson was in position. He played well the whole game. Broke up some passes. But and I guess while we're on this subject, breaking up passes, can I just say, now, I was very impressed, actually, with Slade. 
played played himself a really good game. He was on top of Arkansas wide receivers. He got some PBUs, some pass breakups on key downs, critical occasions. There was that one where the Arkansas guy caught it, was going to the ground, and he reached like over and around him and ripped that ball out at the very end. I was really impressed by Slade. I was really impressed by the rest of our defense. Really impressed by Eddie Heckard, who made that incredible open field tackle on that little swing pass to the right that resulted in Arkansas's missed field goal off the post. Our our defense just looks entirely new, man, and it's so fun to watch. It it really is. And like you said, Ethan Slade, Eddie Heckard, uh, Jacob Robinson, these guys are all helping in the run game. Jacob Robinson freaking led the team in tackles, co-led the team in tackles. Ethan Slade, eight tackles, three solos, one pass breakup. Like, we got guys that are stepping up into these roles. Like, it, it's coming together. And I know, like, we still give up 430 yards of offense, uh, 350 if you take out the one long run, right, uh, that could have easily been stopped. But still, like, it's just so refreshing to see a defense competently playing the sport of football. It is so beautiful. And it's, it's, it's so beautiful when we do our jobs, we wrap up, we tackle, we don't just let them, you know, kill us by death by a thousand cuts. Right. It's, it's beautiful to watch us be aggressive, get home and win football games on the back of our defense, which is something I would never have dreamed of last year. Can we talk about really quick? And this is going to be a 100% like I have, equipped my red dot site in call of duty like shot on target like this is a direct shot um arkansas's offensive coordinator dude you are in third and short fourth and short on multiple occasions you have a 250 pound quarterback why the heck are you not just running the read option or having kj jefferson go under center and bully his way forward for a couple yards Like, it baffled me to see on fourth and one when we got that huge stop. K.J. Jefferson was six yards in the backfield taking that snap. That baffled me. I thought they were going to go under center, that he was going to push right up the middle, do a QB sneak. That was going to be an automatic first down. You just cannot stop that. You can stop that little weak, soft, time delay handout to the left where we had multiple guys in the backfield before the handoff even occurred. Yeah. Arkansas OC, what the heck are you doing? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Thank um, you. Thank you, but we don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, we hope you figure it out from here on out and go win the SEC West, right? Um, yeah. Re- regardless, that was an awesome, awesome game. It was one of the best games of the day, and we had some bangers. Um, and speaking of bangers, should we get into the nifty nine? Bump, 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 bump. What? 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 We start off this week's Nifty Nine, where Maroon Five is currently at. I am in misery. Ooh, I see what you did there. Where the high school musical Wildcats, otherwise known as Kansas State, and that's their kind of like on the weekend name, were facing off against the Tigers. Notably, not the Tigers. This game had one too many Drinkowitzes because it was absolutely drunk. Kansas State had the game in the bag, but went three and out in the final minutes of the game, giving Missouri a chance. Hey, Boom, do you know what about... Do, hey, Boom, 
What do you know about the element Promethean? Absolutely nothing, Deej. Well, its atomic number is 61, the same oh. amount of yards that Mizzou's thicker kicker sent the ball on a game-winning field goal as time expired. <laughs> Mizzou wins it 30-27. to 27. 61 yards! 61! Next up, we head to Athens, Ohio. Oh. To a game which is, weirdly enough, the Joe Burrow Bowl. Uh, fun fact of the day, boom. Uh, Joe Burrow was born in Ames, Iowa, and then later moved to Ohio where he went to Athens High School. Oh, wow, look at that. Look at that. So, uh, you know, LSU and Ohio State, they can argue over Joe Burrow all they want, but really it's between Ohio and Iowa State. Anyway, uh, this game was ugly. Uh, tied 0 0 at halftime. Matt Knock Campbell Soup started screaming at some guy who told him he's on the hot seat. He followed that up by graciously losing the ball game and all but confirming what Joe Diddley was telling him at halftime. Robert Katz win 10 to 7. What a disappointing loss for Iowa State Boom. Next up, we head to the not real state of Ohio. It wasn't real, boom. It never was. Where the previously determined fake Miami were looking to hunt for some Bearcats. Whatever the freaking frack that is. Do you know what a Bearcat is? I don't know what a Bearcat is. What the frick? Since he invited the Red Hawks to town for an easy W, but instead got the full Gage Laravadian Lara treatment. Whoa, big words. That's one of their wide receivers. I don't, crazy last name. Since his offense looked worse than my toilet after a full day of fair food, only putting up 24 points on Miami. Well, I know. The Red Hawks equalized that, sending the game to overtime. Cincinnati forgot that you were supposed to score in overtime, putting up zero points in the extra minutes. Miami of Ohio wins the game 31 to 24 and proves to be the third best team in the state. There's a lot of teams in Ohio, boom. Uh, yeah. Well, now we head to... Tampa. Wow. Uh, multiply that delay by 9,287. And that's how long we had to wait for Alabama to finally pull away from Southern Florida. Part of it was because of a downpour of epic proportions, which knocked out all but two cameras for a large part of the game. The <laughs> other reason was because Alabama sucks. Mm -hmm. The B-U-L-L-S-H-I-T. Bama right in the mouth and dominated the line of scrimmage while Nicholas Saban's quarterbacks looked worse than the BYU run game. Oh? In the end, Nick's deal with the devil came through, though, and they pulled a dub from the jaws of the Buccaneers' butthole, 17-3. to three. The Bulls hit. <laughs> Clever. I see what you did there, Bulls. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Next up, we head to East Lansing, Michigan, where an entire program is celebrating with glee because they got out of Mel Tucker's ridiculously large buyout. Tuck is coming home, as in his house, after being an absolute moron in the Michigan State facility. Saturday was not a total win for the program, however, as Michael Penis, I mean Penis, I mean Penix, sorry, my bad, showed no mercy as he bawly whopped the Spartans. The Huskies ran all over the field like it was a dog sledding competition, taking down the green helmets 41 to 7. Whoop! Over in the swamp! Them gators in the house again! as Joey Miltoni and the Tennessee Vols. Vols? What what's a vol? I, I don't know, Boom. I don't know, but they tried to prove they still got it. 
However, Trevois, Etienne, et Billy Napier had other ideas, many of which included ruthless and brutal face smashing. Etienne made the Tennessee defense truly look like volunteers running for 172 yards on 23 carries, which, let me do the maths here, 7.5 yards per carry! What? Uh, Graham Crackamuts aside, Florida somehow destroys another one of those overhyped SEC teams that somehow still wind up in the top 20. 29 to 16. Wowzers, that was a doozy. Next on the docket, we head to Stillwater, Oklahoma, where the water was not the only thing still. OK's state offense was stiller than the baptismal font waters of a European mission, only putting up seven points on a G5 opponent. And even then, the seven points wasn't garbage time. The time was garbage. The Cowboys were garbage. The only thing that wasn't hot garbage were the Jaguars. They indeed were not still. The large kitty cats stalked their prey and devoured the boys who are also cows. 33 to 7. The Big 12 is kind of being disgraced, boom. And it's by Mike Gundy and his goons. Ay ay ay. Uh, maybe we get a win in November? I don't know. Oh? Now, boom, there's a phrase I love more than almost anything in football. Rock fight. Oh. And if you want an example of a rock fight, look no further than the backyard brawl. <laughs> this game was most brutally defensive battle I have seen in a great while. Beautiful, boom. were hunted. Defenses were fired up, and offenses were fired? I don't know. The way it should be. Uh, but I do know that they shall play this game every single year. The quarterbacks were in the rock. Were the rocks. <laughs> the quarterbacks were the rocks in this fight, throwing for 141 yards, three interceptions, and only one totally combined. Beautiful. It was truly beautiful. Davy Crockett wins this one 17 to 6 but is staring down the Alamo on the horizon on November 4th, if you get what I mean. You know, Boom, I'd like to think that the creators of football are watching down from heaven, smiling upon the backyard brawl. Shitting because tears it is the of thing joy. That to them closely, most closely resembles the sport that they so beautifully crafted. To finish up this rather nifty nine, we head to that city where that guy from the Chainsmokers stole his roommate's mattress where some rams and some buffaloes were facing off in a good old-fashioned Mother Nature duel. Ooh, yum. There was more trash talk before this game than in that old trash talk Mormon ad that they used to hang in all the young men's rooms. I don't know if you remember that, Boom, but I, I have a distinct memory of that. <laughs> as Dion and Jane Norvell took shot after shot at each other's sunglasses and hats-wearing habits. <laughs> Fights broke out on the field before the game, and dirty hits were aplenty in this game. Ooh, Dallin Holker... Yeah. Yep, that guy, Dallin Holcomb. Yep, you're thinking of the right guy. Led his Rams to an incredibly coached and played game, taking Colorado to overtime. Hmm? Dion seems like he forgot the overtime rules, taking the ball first instead of defending in overtime. After a back and forth round of double overtime, the Sanders and their black and gold crew of Buffalo Post took home a 43 to 35 victory. Woo! Woo! Now that was something. Can I tell you a very fun fact? Yes, I love fun facts. You know, the whole trash talk thing was Jay Norvell saying Deion Sanders shouldn't be wearing a hat and sunglasses when talking to adults, whatever. Yeah. You know? I looked up Jay Norvell in preparation for this Nifty Nine. 
the very first picture that shows up of him on Google is of him wearing sunglasses and a hat. Oh. It is on the football field. You no, know, so it's not like in a press conference or something. But I think it's funny that the literally the first thing that shows up when you Google Jay Norvell is him wearing sunglasses. <laughs> um, let's talk about that game for a little bit uh, because it was actually like awesome. Um, I thought Colorado was going to hang like 80 on him. Uh, Colorado State came to freaking play, bro. That was so fun, especially in the first half. Like they were absolutely taking it to Colorado. They were driving to the was. It was everything that a rivalry game should be. Like there were so many unsportsmanlike penalties because people are jawing at each other. Somebody's poking somebody in the eyes. Somebody's cheap shotting somebody. Like it was so the the emotion was so high. And there was the team that should have had no chance being in that game. Be, they were in that game. They should have won the game. Um, it, it was just, it was, it was the epitome of what college football can and should be, right? And I'll get to this a little bit later, but uh, just rivalries in college football, man, there's nothing like it. There is nothing like it. Yeah, dude, Colorado State came to this game ready to play. Their game plan was incredible. And they, I mean, they bottled up Shadur Sanders as much as they possibly could. I mean, he's a great quarterback, and they have really great athletes on their squad. But, man, they were playing, and they, it felt like this whole game, Colorado State was in control. It did not feel like that in any point at all that Colorado was in control of this football game. Colorado State was playing well on defense. They were playing well on offense. Dallin Holker was an absolute beast. You know, he... Colorado State went up by seven late in the fourth quarter because Dallin Holker kind of mossed a guy and then ran the ball 40 yards down the field for a touchdown. That was awesome. It was absolutely insane. Like, Colorado State looked very good in this game. Colorado looked very bad in this game. And I think it was telling of – it was very telling of Jay Norvell, in my opinion. Most people, you know, Dion starts talking his talk, saying, you disrespected me, and they fold. Jay Norvell didn't. He took it to Colorado. And I think that Colorado State earned the respect nationally of a lot of people in Colorado. I don't think people are projecting them to go to the playoff anymore. <laughs> no, not quite. It was very funny to see the the swing in the media projections after that one. Um, my hate for Deion Sanders is turning into more hate for the media surrounding him. I am still anti Deion Sanders uh, because he carries himself in a way that's very cocky. It's very brash. It's very easy to hate him because of just the way he acts. Right. And he's an athlete. Like, of course, you know, like you're entitled to do that. Um, But the media surrounding and covering Dion is despicable. There wasn't one mention of Colorado state on game day, except to bring up the fact of what Jay Norvell said. Right. There was no mention like, the broadcast for the game was horrible. If they didn't have Lewis Riddick on the broadcast, there was no redeeming factor of it. And I know, like, they didn't know the Colorado State players' names. There was no mention of, oh, this is good for Colorado State. It was all about Colorado. It was all about, and I get it was Colorado's a home team, but it was disgusting to watch. Uh, all of the media surrounding the Travis Hunter hit, which, yes, was dirty, but the whole media surrounding it, um, covering the game, talking about Dion. Dion was the victim in this. Like, it, it was just, I, I'm sick of the, 
the media just covering Dion and completely forgetting about the the teams or the stories on the other side. Um, it, it was really, really hard to, to listen to. In fact, we watched the game uh, with the sound off for the last half because none of us at, at uh, my parents' house could, could really like uh, stomach it, right? Um, and, and especially like the worst part of it was um, huge coaching mistake to take the ball first in overtime. Like you alternate choice, right? And you always choose to go on defense so you know what you have to do. Dion doesn't know what he's doing. Like, <laughs> chooses to take the ball first. This isn't the NFL. Um, but there was no talk of that decision. Uh, they didn't even bring it up. Uh, and then secondly, there was no talk about Colorado going for two after the first overtime. You, you have – like, if you're Colorado State, uh, you have to go for two after you score in that double overtime. Colorado has no chance to, to get the ball back if you do go for two and win. Uh, and uh, – it was just, it was very poor uh, production quality all across the sport, honestly, yesterday. Um, I'm just, I'm very disappointed and I'm very, uh, I do, I am not liking all of the media surrounding Colorado, uh, the ESPN, uh, like everything. It's just everybody kissed Dion's bum and then uh, let's forget about everything else. Um, I know that's not very pertinent, but from the broadcast side of things that I now like know more about, it was kind of hard to see and I, I felt really bad for all the Colorado State guys and fans because their team should have won the game and nobody will you know nobody heard their players names nobody heard any sort of stories about that side of the camp it was just it was very one-sided yeah I mean if you're Jay Norvell you gotta go for the win in overtime like Sure, you played a very good game. You coached a very good game. But there's no denying that Colorado's got more dudes than you do. It was a miracle that you were in overtime. You needed to go for the win. You didn't. The rest is history. But no, I think you're absolutely right. I Honestly, like, Deion Sanders, his character, his persona, I think is kind of funny. And it's bringing a lot of attention to the sport. To the fact, to the point where... Honestly, Colorado might bring more viewership than we're losing with Texas. <laughs> Honestly. It's actually true. <laughs> like, it, it, it's good. But I think the media is absolutely blowing out of proportion. I want to see less coverage on what Deion Sanders said. And I want to see more coverage on how the heck he walks so well with only three toes on one foot. <laughs> That's what I want to know. That's how does he do it? Like, those, I, I think he he's missing his big toe and his pinky toe. I think those are like critical for balance and stability. How does he walk around so well with only his three middle toes? That's what I that's what I want to know. That's the hard hitting journalism that I am not seeing from sports media. Why didn't they just have him take off his shoe on game day? Just show us the ugly little dogs, bro. We, yeah, we want not? to know. The world wants to know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a big weekend of college football. And we're going to do a little quick segment because uh, doing things on Tuesdays, we have to talk about the previous week and the upcoming week. Um, so let's just give it, let's give ourselves three, our three free thoughts about college football. We'll go back and forth, just say one thing each, um, just to kind of uh, wrap things up on our recap of all of college football for last week. Justin, will you want to start? This is probably Nick Saban's last year coaching football. 
He's smiling a lot. He's doing the Pat McAfee show weekly. He's doing commercials. I think this is Nick Saban's last year. Uh, his team is also not very good. Uh, mm-hmm. so that could also play a part. Um, my first one is Ohio State is dot, 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 back, question mark. Uh, we exploded for like 40 points in the second quarter against Western Kentucky. Kyle McCord finally looks like an actual quarterback. Our receivers are getting the ball in space. Our running back, our run game is awesome now. Uh, yes, it was against Western Kentucky, and yes, we played Notre Dame, but uh, it was very good to get that feeling of confidence back before we start our big games at conference play. Another thought for me, hard hits are part of football. They are. Football is a dangerous sport. It is a collision sport, but dirty hits do not need to be. That hit from the Colorado State player on Travis Hunter was needless. It was senseless. It should not have happened. Now, people calling for him to be suspended for the rest of the year or have a scholarship revoked or anything like that, I think that's taking it a little too far. Football is an emotional game. Dirty hits happen, okay? What he did wasn't okay, but I think it's funny that that is not included in the definition of targeting where somebody (laughs) who's like the running back lowers their head into them is getting ejected. I don't know. That's kind of like a complex thought, but hard hits are part of football. Dirty hits don't need to be. No need to hit that dirty, but at the same time, kids don't receive – kids don't deserve to receive death threats over a hard hit in an emotional football game where tempers were flying left and right. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, I think you should definitely get ejected from the game if you do something like that, right? But that's it. If you, It's like a red card, right? You get a red card, you're done. You do something stupid or reckless, you're yeah. done, right? I, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will say, no though. be suspended for the rest of the year or something like that. Right, right. Um, I would like to know in the alternate universe out there where Travis Hunter does that to a Colorado State wide receiver – I would love to see the media, uh, what spin they would take on that, because I guarantee you they wouldn't be calling for his head or for him to get suspended, right? It would be a very different spin. <laughs> um, uh, moving on, uh, there are no God mode teams this year. There is no one great team. We saw all across the board today, not a single team except Washington has really looked the part in college football, and Washington hasn't really played anybody. Um that's not, I'm not taking it away from them, but I'm also not going to put them in God mode tier uh, because they haven't played anybody hard. But Georgia was down by 10 at halftime. Uh, Ohio State hasn't looked like themselves until today. Bowling Green was down a point up until almost halftime with Michigan. Uh, all of these teams, Bama's looked uh, despicable. Texas barely beat Wyoming and Rice. Like, there are no awesome teams this year. It's There's a lot of parity, and I'm very here for it. Yeah, no, I, I completely got to agree with that. Washington has looked apart, but like you're saying, all they've played is what at this point? Boise State, who sucks, Kent State, and Michigan State. Right. Lots of, lots of states that aren't states. Um, <laughs> except I guess Michigan is technically a state. Anyway, uh, my final thought on this is – I'm legitimately scared of Dan Lanning. Um, this is I don't this is kind of like a weird thought that kind of just came to me, but like I started thinking about Dan Lanning and the fuel that he threw on Colorado's fire before he even knew it. In the beginning of this year, when he's like, I don't know what value Colorado ever brought to this conference. Colorado sucks. Colorado's never been to a Pac-12 championship. Basically, it just went off. But I don't know, like. 
Dan Lanning, I think, is the type of football coach. Like, when you hear that phrase, like, all right, you have your foot on their neck. Now you got to step through and break it, you know? I think Dan Lanning isn't comfortable with putting his foot through somebody's neck just until it breaks. I think he wants to be knee deep in that neck. Like, he he will just stomp you. He plays an aggressive brand of football. And honestly, I'm scared to see what Oregon does to Colorado this week. I don't think it's going to be close, especially with Travis Hunter gone now. I am legitimately very scared and excited at the same time to see what happens this upcoming week. I, I am also scared and excited. I think Shudder Sanders uh, better be shaking in his baby seal leather boots. Um, he's already been sacked like twice as much as the next closest college football quarterback. I He he might hope that yep. they're down by 50 at halftime so he doesn't have to endure two more quarters of Oregon just teeing off on him. Um, my, my final one, I said this earlier, rivalries are the lifeblood of college football. They're so freaking fun, and we need to protect and play more non-con rivalries. The backyard brawl was disgustingly beautiful. It was awesome. The turnout was insane. West Virginia is supposed to be having their worst year in years, like the worst season in years. And it was Pat to the rafters singing a very interesting version of Sweet Caroline. Um, the uh, SMU TCU game this week, <laughs> you had uh, Colorado, Colorado State. Like these are the games that need to be played every single year. Don't forget. Don't forget, Jared, the battle for the victory bell, Miami, Ohio versus Cincinnati. See, and it's not like they're getting outclassed. Like P5 schools are not outclassing their G5 compadres. That These are fun, close, exciting games. They draw a ton of viewership. Uh, and for the fans in the stands who college football revolves around, that is why we need them. It's for them. College football was made by them, and we need to give it back to them by scheduling amazing non-con rivalries every year. I absolutely agree with that. We've said time and time again on this podcast, rivalries are college football. Without rivalries, college football just becomes a watered-down NFL product. 100%. 100%. Let's move along to this week. Uh, I know we've been going for a while already, but we are here for you. Um, We're going to bring you next up, BYU versus Kansas. Two undefeated teams, two teams uh, that will be opening conference play this weekend. BYU going to Kansas. Uh, BYU is going with all white this game. We started with the uniforms. All white, but with navy trim. So something that we've seen a lot through Independence Era. Uh, Justin, how are you feeling about this uniform? I like the all white. I think it looks icy. It looks nice. Um, I would prefer royal trim, but I understand why they did navy, right? You know, Royal, you're you're at Kansas. Kansas is probably going to be wearing a lot of Royal in their uniforms. I imagine if we're going all white, they're probably going all Royal. So I understand why you don't do the Royal. But I do think it's a clean look. Of our Navy looks, I am most okay with this one because it showcases the least amount of Navy. <laughs> yes, uh, we, we don't um, – th- this is one that we've seen before. It's one that we like. Uh, we have a decent record in it, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but yeah, it'll it'll look good on screen. I think it'll it'll be fine. Uh, as far as Kansas goes, 
What should everybody know Hold about? Hold on, I think I just nugget alert. Nugget alert. Hold on, I got a nugget alert. Nugget alert. Um, has a if I'm not mistaken, do 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 do. I I am I'm, I'm verifying that this nugget is indeed correct. Yes, it is. Okay, BYU's first ever game as an independent. Do you remember which game that was? Uh, nope. <laughs> versus Ole Miss. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It Back. was versus Ole Miss. Long time ago. And we won that game. Won that game 14 to 13. True. Calvin Noy. Do you know what uniform we were wearing in that game? Was it all white with navy trim? All white with navy trim. It only feels right that we start our first win of independence and our first game in Big 12 with a win wearing the same uniform. On the road against a P5 opponent that is sneaky, supposed to be really good. Uh, interesting nugget. That is a that is a certified fun fact. Um, Kansas is pretty good. Fun fact. They have an offense that, that it's very weird. It's very weird. It's very different. It's fun to watch. It's exciting, uh, but it's all over the place. They scheme guys open like no one else in the country. Uh, they're averaging over 500 yards per game, over 37 points a game, 5.3 yards per carry. Uh, this is this is an offensive-minded team. And, uh, yeah, BYU is going to have to score a lot of points if we want to win this one. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Jalen Daniels is a very good quarterback. He plays very well. He can run the ball. He can throw the ball. Their defense is not great. Kansas actually has the worst defense in all of the Big 12, statistically speaking, thus far. So that does, I don't know, give us some hope that our offense will be able to excel, and hopefully we will be able to see a little bit of a run game as well. You might be telling yourself right now, though, but hey, Royal Strong and True podcast. Kansas struggled at Nevada. Nevada's bad. Only beat them by a touchdown. What's going on there? Jared, give me your take. What's going on with this Kansas program and which Kansas program should we expect to see on Saturday? I don't know. That one was really surprising because they manhandled Illinois at home the week before. And I was very scared. I even wrote on the weekend watch guide, if you watch Kansas, Nevada, you will be scared for next week. But I watched it and I was not scared. They got owned in the line of scrimmage. Nevada did a really good job of playing with Kansas. Kind of, man, like like taking control of the game, having it played like on their uh, terms, really, which is really weird. Um, I I don't know, because Kansas still played a decent game. They didn't score as many points as usual. Uh, they only had one turnover. Uh, it, it was just one of those weird late-night games. You're playing on the road in Reno, Nevada. Uh, super weird. I would not expect to see that Kansas team again this week. Um, that I I think they're going to explode. Uh, I think they're going to look like more of their their old selves um, if we let them. Right, like it's going to depend on us. But I I don't think that you should think of the Nevada game as oh they're not very good. I think it was just a weird one off game. Okay, I can see that. But Nevada, like you were saying, did pretty much dominate at the line of scrimmage. They rushed for four yards a carry. They put up 145 rushing yards on Kansas. That's saying a lot when you have a bottom half G5 team 
playing a middle of the pack to top half P5 team. That is crazy. And then you have Nevada's quarterback that versus Kansas threw the ball at a 70% clip. No interceptions. Kansas was unable to force turnovers in this game, except for, for whatever reason, Nevada fumbled the ball five times, but <laughs> lost the ball zero times. They recovered every single fumble, yeah. Yeah, they recovered every single one of those five fumbles. Jalen Daniels was getting pressured. He got hit, fumbled a football, lost a football. I think that we will be able to succeed versus um, Kansas as ESPN randomly starts playing audio in the background on my side um i like you were saying jared i was scared of this kansas team going into this game i still am i think they're a formidable foe but i think that this game is a lot more winnable than i thought i think now that it is a lot more winnable than what i thought two weeks ago yeah and if we want to echo this nevada game and and have it be that kind of a winnable game like we're just going to have to do the same thing we did against Arkansas. We're going to have to get pressure on the quarterback with four. We're going to have to get to him when we bring five and six. Jalen Daniels is a lot like KJ Jefferson. He's mobile. He's not as heavy, but he's faster. But he does use his legs. Uh, he's hard to bring down, not because he's so big and we bounce off of him, but because he's sneaky. He's fast. Uh, something that BYU did really well against Arkansas is we kept KJ Jefferson in the pocket. That's kind of one of our keys that we said on last episode. So we're going to have to keep him in the pocket. And we did for the most part. Jalen Daniels, it's going to be even more crucial to keep him in the pocket. We're going to have to put a spy on him most plays, I'm guessing, which means we're going to have to get pressure with four. He's still, even in a rough outing, he still averaged 11 yards per attempt, 21 of 27 for 300 yards, like no interceptions. He still played really well, but because Nevada did just little things right, uh, got pressure on him, uh, stopped him on four third downs. I know it's not a lot, but it did help keep the score at only 31. Um, that's something that we're going to have to do. We're going to have to play a game where we're going to give up more points than we want, but we're still just going to have to rattle the quarterback, keep him contained, keep him in the pocket, not let him extend plays, and not let him pick up yards on the ground. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of scared of this game. And not of Kansas, of this game, just where it stands. We played an extremely emotional game at Arkansas. We won that game, which is great. But in years past, we have not always been the best of keeping that momentum going. We normally have letdowns after a big emotional win like that. I mean, you look at we beat Baylor last year at home. Right, big emotional game. It was crazy. Double overtime victory. Fans are rushing the field. It's insane. The next week we travel to Oregon and lay an absolute egg. We looked terrible versus Oregon. Jared and I would know we saw it in person. That is the one thing I'm worried about in this game. I'm worried about an emotional letdown. The one thing I am encouraged by is that our team besides the safeties, seems healthy. Our offensive line is still healthy. Our defensive line is healthy. Our linebackers are healthy. Our secondary is healthy, minus the safeties. Our wide receivers are getting healthy. So that is the one thing that, like when, when I talk about situationally, right? That is the one thing situationally that I am optimistic about in this game. And I also think that we're a pretty good matchup versus Kansas. 
because this is a team that sucks at defense. We can put up points. We like to put up putting up points is in our DNA. If we can do, if we can put up enough points, maybe we come out of Lawrence with a win on Saturday. I I think we can definitely uh, come out with a win on Saturday. We are going to have to run the ball. I I do not expect I. Okay, I think there might be a chance that we have another terrible running the football day, but we just take advantage of of the secondary for Kansas, even though their secondary is a lot much improved uh, from last year. Um, if we are going to win this game, though, our defense is going to need to force turnovers. The, we cannot allow Kansas to march down the field and dictate the terms, uh, dictate the tempo, uh, dictate field position. Uh, one of the biggest differences between us and Arkansas was starting field position, and that's because we were able to dictate that. We got out uh, on, a, on a good head start after we climbed back into the game, and we kind of managed the game from that perspective. Um, when we get into the red zone or when we get onto into plus territory, we're going to need to score touchdowns too. We are not going to beat Kansas with field goals. I'm sorry. This is not a team that you can field goal to death. Um, there are very few teams that you can, I know, uh, but this is a team where we are going to have to score touchdowns. We're still hundred percent in the red zone scoring touchdowns, right? One of the best in the country. We're going to need to keep that up um, with that probably is going to come the run game. But those are my two keys. We need to force turnovers and we need to score touchdowns. If we can do those two things, then I think we have a really good chance of winning. I mean, you talked about Kansas's secondary and their struggles, Jared. One thing that we should point out is that on Kansas, there is a defensive back named Quinton, who is Darius Lassiter's brother. Ooh. It will be a face-off between two brothers. They were, Darius Lassiter was asked about it, and he said, quote, this game means a lot to me. Me and my brother always dreamed of either playing together or playing against each other. And we get to do that this weekend in the matchup at Kansas. That is pretty cool. The fact that they get to play against each other. Darius Lassiter at the beginning of this week tweeted at his brother saying, don't talk to me until after the game. (laughs) Love that energy. Absolutely love that energy. I need to see, like you were saying, I need to see BYU run the football. And I need to see Keaton Slovis connecting on deep shots down the field. I think he can. That throw to Keelan Marion was beautiful. I think there are going to be plenty of opportunities like that versus Kansas, and those are plays that we are going to have to hit. We will not be able to rock fight Kansas down the field. We cannot, like, if we drive the length of the field getting three yards in a cloud of dust, we'll only get, like, three possessions in the entire game because Kansas will, I mean, they'll do the exact same thing, and it's hard to win a football game like that. We need to push the ball down the field, and I think that we have the ability to because I think our offensive dudes are better than their defensive guys. I think, honestly, like football power index, whatever, only gives us like a 30% chance at winning this game. I'd honestly say that this is our game to lose. But what do you think? See, I don't know if I would go that far. I think it's a 50-50 split. I think, well (sighs) – Based on our performance so far, I can understand why Kansas is favored by a touchdown and why they're favored 56% or whatever um, by the FPI, blah, blah, blah. Um, I I think given our talent, given our potential, then you could be correct. Yes, this is our game to lose. But I think when you combine the two things, 
how we've played versus how we could play. Uh, I think it's a 50-50 split. It being at Kansas, Kansas is good now. Their fans are showing up to football games. Like, they're, it's going to be rocking. It's going to be loud. It's going to be a fun environment to be at. Um, something interesting, Bill Connolly does his SP+. Plus. I don't really trust his SP+, Plus a lot, because he uses a lot of, like, last year in his predictions of this year, and I don't think that's, you know, very fair. Um, but he does have BYU favored by one-tenth of a point. BYU oh. is projected to win 30 to 30.1 is what he said. Uh, yes. So I think we have a better chance than the spread indicates a better chance than people will give us. Um, but it's really going to come down to whether our offense can dictate terms, score touchdowns, uh, and whether our defense can force Jalen Daniels to be uncomfortable. Um, we'll get into our score predictions a little bit later, but I think this is going to be another one that's in the thirties, maybe forties. I agree. This is going to have to be high scoring. There's no way that you don't get into a shootout in the Big 12. That's just what the Big 12 <laughs> is designed for. It's fun football. I think that we are going to enjoy it. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I, unfortunately, have my football game at the exact same time as this game. So I'm going to record it and watch it after the fact. So my phone is going to be off for a while. Um, yeah, I'm not excited for that. But... I am excited to watch the game. Uh, I, I'll be right there with you because I am uh, producing the BYU women's volleyball versus Baylor volleyball game, uh, and it is at 1 p.m. And mm. uh, I, given the environment that I work on, I work in, there's no chance it won't be spoiled for me. So I'll know, and it's going to be sad. But win or lose, I will watch the tape, and we'll have a, uh, we will have a full breakdown for you next week. Uh, do not fear, everyone. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about fear the rest of football. Because let's do it. there are some games. There are several football games that will be played this weekend. I dare say there are more than a couple. There, there, there are several. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are several games. Several of them are ranked matchups. Before we get to any of those, though, let's put on our sicko mode caps and predict this week's upsets. Will there be a ranked upset? Maybe. But I think we're going to dive a little deeper into the weeds than that. Last week, our upset picks eh, did not so great. Uh, Utah State absolutely cracked the bed. Um, for the first week, I do not have any points in the column. Jared, however, does get one at San Jose State covered. Uh, yeah, they were leading late in the game. They should have won the freaking game, but of course they didn't. But hey, still cover. I'll take one point. Uh, only five down at this point. Uh, but yeah, a one point, it's good to get on the board. All right, Jared, who's your upset pick this week? Uh, this is hard because I like a lot of the favorites uh, this week. Uh, there's not a ton of underdogs that I really love or the ones I do love. The spread is a lot closer, and so I'm like, ah. They either have to win or lose by a little. I don't really trust them to do that. Um, but I'm going to go with Georgia Tech plus four and a half at Wake Forest. Wake Forest has looked really shaky the last couple of weeks. Haven't played great opponents. Whereas Georgia Tech played Louisville really close, scored over 30 points in that game. Scored 28 against Ole Miss last week. Uh, I think they're just a little bit feistier than people are giving them credit for. And I think Wake Forest is a dumpster fire without Sam Hartman. Um, so I'm going to go with Georgia Tech. I think this one can be an outright win. 
No, fair enough. Georgia Tech does look feisty. Um, Jared, let me ask you a question. 11 points, is that a normal quantity of points to score in a football game, or is that kind of strange? That's kind of strange. Yeah, well, my upset pick has to do with a team that has scored 11 points in two weeks straight. The NIU Huskies. <laughs> um, NIU has not done well. Um, they did beat Boston College in overtime week one, but that's not saying anything now that we know what Boston College really is. They then lost to Nebraska by 24 and lost to an FCS team in Southern Illinois. The Salukis! Northern, yeah, they suck. Southern, or, Southern Illinois sucks, and Nor- Northern Illinois lost to them. This Northern Illinois team is not good. Somehow they are favored by three and a half points at home versus Tulsa. Now, Tulsa isn't great either, but I think they are a lot more than three and a half points better than NIU. I think this is going to be an outright win. That was one of those that you see and you're like, huh? NIU is favored in a game against an FBS opponent? No, nope, no. Nope. Um, that would be very funny if uh, you win this one and it's an outright win because you went with Northern Illinois and got the outright win and now you're going against Northern Illinois could get the outright win. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you know, Northern Illinois, they're just, they're my team, you know? I, I, for whatever reason, I'm on top of Northern Illinois. <laughs> Uh, let's move ahead into the tipsy 10. Uh, we got to get to it. Of course. Um, we, we should go through the standings too, because, uh, it's been an interesting uh, year so far. I think we could say, <laughs> uh, last week, me and Justin went five and five again. Let's go. Um, yeah. and though we didn't gain any ground on each other, we did gain ground on the fans. Um, Ooh. the fans are down to 16 and 14 or no 18 and 12 overall. Uh, hitting at a 60% clip, whereas, Justin, you are a perfect 500 on the year. Uh, mm-hmm. Give me some thoughts on that because uh, that that's very interesting. A perfect 500 through three weeks. Four, you know, yeah. I'm I'm perfectly average. I'm okay with that. Uh, we beat the fans this week and went four and six, so I'm feeling good about that. Um, if you're not losing, you're not losing, and I'm not losing. So Okay. I, I – I guess that's true. Um, <laughs> I am still losing. Uh, I had the one week where it went kind of poorly. I uh, went four and six. And I'm still just one game back of 500. So at least as far as me and you are concerned, we're pretty close. But the fans are still uh, the fans are still out ahead. We need to make some ground up on them this week. Oh, heck yeah, we do. And I think it's time to make up some ground on them. Let's get to the tipsy 10. Because I think I'm going 10-0 and 0 this week. Uh, let's go. Uh, let's hope so. Um, let's start things off with the game that uh, Justin is scared of. Uh, Dan Lanning uh, taking on, playing host to Deion Sanders. Uh, Oregon, Colorado, 1.30 p.m. on ABC. Oregon is favored by three touchdowns, even. Fans going with Oregon at 81%. Justin, what's your lean in this one? Is there any chance Colorado comes out victorious here? My lean is that 21 points is honestly really disrespectful to Colorado. I don't think Colorado loses this game by 21 points, but I do think they lose. I am scared of Dan Lanning. I think that he is not going to be um, he's not going to be graceful in the way that he wins. I think he's going to be rubbing Dion's face in the dirt as much as he can. I think Oregon wins in this one. 
Uh, I'm right with you. I I mean, we had to put it on here because it's the game everybody's talking about, right? But give me the duckies. Uh, I sincerely hope and I think that they will absolutely bully Colorado back to where they belong in the cellar of the Pac-12. Uh, not really, but I just hope that they win by a lot. So I hope they give them the treatment they gave us when we went up there. <laughs> Eesh, even worse. Next up, Saturday at 5 p.m. on CBS Sports Network, we got App State, who is traveling to take on the Wyoming Cowboys in Laramie. Wyoming is a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. The fans favor Wyoming at an 81% clip. Jared, who are you going with in this game? I'm going with Laramie as well. Um I know that App State is feisty. I know that they took UNC to double overtime or whatever it was. Um, but I just – I really like Wyoming this year. Uh, I was on them last year. They didn't quite meet expectations. I'm on them again this year, and they're doing a lot better. They upset Texas Tech at home. Uh, they played really close with Texas until the very end, uh, and their starting quarterback wasn't even playing in that game. Uh, I'm going with Wyoming here. Uh, I think the urine bombs will be out in full force and App State will lose in a very close one. Well, I think PP Poo Poo University is going down the toilet. I think App State is going to win this game. They have been putting up offensive numbers like crazy lately. They scored 34 points on UNC, 43 points on East Carolina, 45 points on their FCS foe. App State just scores, man, and they score a lot. I think they're going to score a lot in Laramie. Uh, this is a great uh, just G5, G5 game. That this is, this is awesome. Like, this is what you watch G5 football for, is for super fun, super wild non-con matchups like this. Uh, another uh, matchup that we have between P5 teams now, SMU, notably P5. Um, huh? SMU at TCU, the battle for the Iron Skillet, a rivalry that will die after this year, but one that should be played every year because it's always ridiculous. 10 a.m., FS1, uh, TCU favored by six and a half over the Mustangs. Fans, 79% of them also going with TCU. Justin, where's your lean here? Are you going froggies or horsies? I'm going with the froggies in this one. I think TCU is a good team. I think they just, their defense needed a wake-up call versus Colorado. Because apparently playing out, uh, playing you know Georgia was not a wake up call enough for their defense, <laughs> but I think it's it's worked. They're playing good football now. They blew out Nickel State like they were supposed to, and only allowed thirteen points versus Houston. I think TCU is the better team in this one. See, my heart is telling me to go with SMU here, but I'm a man of principle. I have to follow the principles. Uh, I'm going to go TCU because Big 12, right? We play them. We want them to be good. We want the Big 12 to look good. Um, but I do think SMU has a real shot to win this one. They looked uh, a lot better than last year. They played Oklahoma really close. Um, I think there's a chance they could win this game, but I'm going to pick TCU in a close one because I'm a man of principle. Principle. Next up, 6 p.m. Saturday on Fox Sports 1. We have the UCF Golden Knights who are traveling to Manhattan, the Little Apple, to take on Kansas State. Kansas State is favored by four and a half points at home and by the fans at a 63% clip. Jared, who are you going with in this one? Ooh, I'm going UCF, baby. 
Oh. <laughs> New blood over old blood. Uh, I did not like Kansas State's game against Missouri. They did not impose their will like they should have. Uh, they let explosive players do explosive things to them, much like the Zang in the Asian Zing. Mm, um, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it I think UCF scores a lot of points. I don't think Kansas State can score a lot of points this year. So I'm going with UCF in the upset. I mean, I could see that, and I was going to pick UCF had Kansas State beaten Mizzou last week. Mm. But because Kansas State lost to Mizzou, I think they will have a bounce-back game. I'm going to take K-State in this one. UCF has done well this year, but has also struggled versus good defenses only scoring 18 points versus Boise State. Kansas State's defense isn't terrible. It's not great, but it's, I think, better than Boise State's. I think Kansas State pulls it off in this one. That one's going to be a fun one for sure. Uh, We go back to the 130 time slot where we got the CBS, uh, the SEC on CBS, the last year of it. We have number 15. Thank you very much. That was beautiful. Um, at number 13, Alabama. Interesting game. Lane Kiffin hasn't said anything about popcorn yet, unless I am mistaken. Um, maybe that's a good sign. In fact, it is a good sign because the last time he said that, we went over to Justin's place to watch the game and it was absolute stinker. Um, yep. Ole Miss is an underdog in this one, seven points. Uh, Bama favored there. But the fans, 54%, are going with the Rebels. Uh, Justin, powder blue or the Crimson Tide? My heart tells me powder blue, but something tells me that for whatever reason, Lane Kiffin is just destined to be Nick Saban's son. So I'm going with Alabama in this one. I don't feel super confident. Where is Jalen Milrose's confidence going to be after getting benched and then reinstated? I'm not sure can Jackson Dart play well versus the first great defense he's played against this year. I don't know. I'm going to go with Alabama just for the principle of Nick Saban being Lane Kiffin's daddy. (laughs) Uh, He definitely has been his daddy up till now. Um, I think, I think Ole Miss covers for sure. And I think they outright win. I'm going with the powder blue baby. Uh, I I like what I've seen from Jackson Dart so far. Much improved from last year in the games he's played so far. Uh, they look shaky against Tulane a little bit, uh, but I just I think they're I think they're a good team. I think they're putting it together. Alabama's lost in the woods, bro. Like they they don't have a quarterback. Their line is getting pushed around by South Florida. Their wide receivers aren't getting separation against G five teams. I think this is Ole Miss's year. If they lose. This year, Lane Kiffin is freaking dead to me. I will never touch him with a 90-foot pole again. Uh, this is his year to topple Alabama. And if he doesn't do it, like I said, he's dead to me. There's no chance I'm ever picking Ole Miss in any game ever again. Uh, but I think he can do it, and I have faith in him, the offense, and Jackson Dart to go out and win this ballgame. Oh, baby. That would be fun. That would be a lot of fun. Also at 1.30 p.m., but this time on Fox, we got number 22, UCLA, the Bruins traveling to Rice-Eccles Stadium poop to take on the Utah Scroots, ranked number 11. The Scroots are favored by four and a half points, but the fans favor UCLA at 73%. Jared, who are you going with? Well, I mean, I, I, I know I don't need to ask, but how loudly are you going with the 
yellow and blue team on this one. Yeah, sorry to all you headphone users out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, very loudly. Uh, I think Utah is poo-poo this year. Uh, besides principal, right? We're never, ever going to pick Utah. But I think there's UCLA is a giant question mark. Nobody really knows who they are. They haven't really played anybody. They never try in the non-con, really, um, except for the Sissy Blue game. Um, I, <laughs> I think UCLA is going to do the same thing they did last year and just bully Utah, beat them at their own game. Uh, I would like to shout out a couple of uh, people here. Um, Sam Cofield, Ivan Cruz, Caleb Nagel, Daniel Winder, Katie, uh, your wife, Quentin Rice, Britton Johnson, Sam, and Cunningham. They all picked Utah. Uh, I think we give Katie a pass because she actually goes to Utah. Uh, But everybody else, poo, 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 poo on you. You can never pick Utah. That's something we never do here. Yeah, what the frick, Quentin Rice? Come on, man. What, What the frick, dude? Not cool. Somebody needs to give him a crash course in the rivalry. Yeah, no, for real. That is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I'm also going with UCLA in this one. I think Utah might be the better team. I think Utah is very good at Rice Eccles Stadium, but it's also September. And September is the month that Utah lays an egg. I think this one is it. And, I mean, don't forget, by the way, um, this September – has five Saturdays in it. So your team could have played five games in September. That's five chances for Utah to lay an egg. They're 0 for 3 so far. So I think these next two games are egg games. I would absolutely love to see it. Um, Up next, we go to the late night slate. Um, And this is a good one. Uh, We have Oregon State taking on Washington State. Uh... The battle of the pack two, I guess, battle for conference supremacy. Uh, I guess. I don't know. I'm yeah. very excited for this game. Oh, yes. Do you have some? No. Yeah. Uh, this game's actually at 5 p.m. That was uh, incorrect on my part. Um, anyway, uh, it looks like they changed the uh, time for it. So that's cool. Um, but Oregon State, Washington State, DJU, Cameron Ward. It's on the Palouse, Oregon State, favored by three. Justin, where are you going with this one? The fans are going with the Beavs as well, 66% of them. Justin, how are you feeling about Oregon State at Wazoo? Man, Oregon State is a good team, but so is Wazoo. Give me Wazoo with the home upset. I think Washington State is a very good game. Washington State is not a fun place to play. I mean, the Washington State fans get rowdy. There's not a ton to do in Pullman, so they're all at the football games. Washington State is going to win this football game. Where are you at, Jared? I am also going with Wazoo. Not only are they our uh, fellow Cougars, um, they scared me against Wisconsin. They absolutely pounded Wisconsin when they went to the Palouse. I think Oregon State is good. Like you said, they've impressed against their lesser competition they've played. This is their first real test, and I think Washington State is very, very undervalued. Uh, by everyone very underrated i think they come out and they put it on oregon state win by a, at least a touchdown heck yeah next up 10 a.m abc saturday number three florida state travels to the fake death valley to take on the clemson tigers florida state on the road is favored by two and a half points 
and by 79% of our listeners. Jared, where are you at in this ACC throwdown? Uh, you already know. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, I hate Clemson. They also suck. Quarterback is booty butt garbage. Um, Florida State had their letdown game last week against Boston College. Uh, kind of let them slip back into the game with some stupid turnovers. I think they're already focused on this game. I think they stay focused on this game. And I think they're out here to prove that they're to the top of the conference. And I know Clemson is 0-1 in conference, right? Not ranked. But Florida State still has to prove they are the top-notch team in the ACC. And I think they do it in this game. I think they go into the fake Death Valley, 10 a.m. Clemson Tigers are still asleep or tailgating or hungover from Friday. And I think Florida State walks out with the big dub. I completely agree with you, man. Clemson lost to freaking Duke. Um, <laughs> shout out to Duke. 3-0. Uh, football school, not a basketball school. Coach K can go eat it because this is um, Mike Elko's school. Um, yeah, no, but give me Florida State in this one. Uh, I accidentally started writing down the wrong school, but I believe that the Seminoles are going to win this game. I think they're going to win it handedly, I think at least by 13 points. Uh, that would be awesome. Uh, very close spread in that one, uh, as we said. Uh, next up, we have, you already know, it is the Ohio State University going to touchdown Jesus uh, to take on the number nine Notre Dame Fighting Irish, uh, five thirty p.m. NBC primetime. You you know the best uh, the best broadcast cameras in the business are going to be there. It's going to look like a movie. I am um, extremely excited for this game now that Ohio State has shown life on the offensive side. Ohio State favored by three. Um, Notre Dame is the fan favorite, however, with 56, 56% of the votes going to Notre Dame. This is going to be a really interesting one. You got Marvin Harrison Jr. You have Audric Estime. You have Sam Hartman, Kyle McCord. Like lots of names. These two storied programs. This is going to be one hell of a game. I am very excited. But Justin, where are you going in this one and why? I'm going with, and you're going to hate me, Notre Dame in this game. I have an Ohio State shirt sitting in my dresser that Jared gave me. I'm a de facto Ohio State adopted fan, but I'm taking Notre Dame just because Notre Dame has always been a very good team, and they've always been a quarterback away. They haven't had a good quarterback. Sam Hartman is playing freaking good. He looks like a legitimate quarterback. I think Notre Dame might be legit this year. Ohio State has struggled early this year. And their quarterback situation looks like what Notre Dame's quarterback situation normally is. They do not have elite quarterback talent this year, so I'm going with Notre Dame. Uh, I don't blame you for going with Notre Dame. I I don't like it. I don't agree, obviously, as I'm wearing my Ohio State hat and uh, shirt, as I'm repping every single uh, day this week. In the Uh, Ohio State room. In the Ohio State room, yes, those of you that are watching on YouTube because we don't have a YouTube. Um, uh, <laughs> but this is going to be maybe one of the greatest games uh, of the year. I am extremely excited for this game. Hopefully I get home in time to watch it. Um, this is what my weekend is revolving around this week. Uh, and also probably my happiness for the next couple of months because if we lose this game, it's going to be very, very rough sledding in the Big Ten. What scares me about Notre Dame is their offense. Like you said, Sam Hartman is incredible. 
Uh, Audric Estime is incredible. We saw him against BYU last year, absolutely demoralized us. And I think if Ohio State's defense, which has looked very good, our, our offenses look shaky, our defenses look very good this year. Uh, if we're not up to the task, we could get picked apart. The Notre Dame defense has not looked stellar. They've looked pretty good against lower, you know, uh, against weaker opponents. Um, but this Ohio State offense is still going to have to click. We're still going to have to play like we have in only one of our three games so far. We're going to have to play like we did in the Western Kentucky game. If it's me, I'm definitely taking the over. And as an Ohio State fan, I have to go with Ohio State. I'm definitely going with Ohio State. But I'm also taking the over in this game. I think there's going to be a lot of points scored. And I think it's going to be very close in the end. All right, man. Fair enough. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But uh, Notre Dame's going to win. Lastly, um, the game you have all been waiting for. You already know what our picks are in this one. But we need to give you all the hot deets and info on dissenters and on our score predictions. BYU travels to Lawrence, Kansas to play Kansas University, the birthplace of basketball, Saturday, 1.30 p.m. on ESPN. Kansas is favored by nine points currently, which has moved up and down and up and down and up and down. Jared, what is your prediction for this game? I I mean, BYU is going to win, obviously. Um, I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. I We thought it was going to be low-scoring last week, and it definitely was not. Um, I'm, I'm going with BYU, and I'm going to go with a score of – 42 to 41. I think BYU is going to score a lot of points. I think they're going to figure out the run game a little bit uh, because, you know, Kansas's defensive line is not very good. Uh, I think we're going to get pressure on the quarterback, but I still think Kansas is going to put up a lot of points. Uh, I think we're going to win 42, 41 in a very close, very exciting game. It's going to come down to the last drive. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very excited for it, um, but I am just a little bit worried about our offense keeping pace with, the Kansas offense. I mean, that's fair. I think our defense is going to play very well and is going to limit Kansas. I think our offense will play better than it has in the past. I think that BYU wins this game 38 to 27. Okay. I would love that. I mean, an 11 point victory on the road in our big 12 home opener. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That'd be pretty good. That's I would what love I see nothing more. Uh, We did have a dissenter this week. Uh, we do this every week. And when my wife was filling it out, she's like, Oh, I kind of want to go with uh, Kansas in this one. And I was like, I don't blame you, but just know we will call you out and disgrace you publicly. uh, If you vote against BYU. And she said, that's very unfair. That's like pressuring them into it. And I said, that's the point. Um, But we did have one (laughs) dissenter that we must shout out this week. Justin, would you please do the honor of publicly humiliating this human? Now, this this person we gave a pass to last week, we thought maybe they're just hurt. Maybe there's something in their heart that just the, I don't know, I guess there are neurons in your heart, but the neurons of your heart brain aren't firing. This week, to do it, fool me once, shame on me. I mean, I guess I'm going to flip the phrase, I guess. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you, Mark Stroud. Mark, what the heck are you doing, man? Are you just fading yourself? You picked Arkansas to win last week and Lee won, so you're picking Kansas, hoping that we win. You're fading yourself. We get that. If that's what it is, tell us. But there is something wrong, Mark. 
let us know. Mark, you, um, you know what? I am going to say something rude about Mark, as is tradition of our dissenters. You have to. Mark, I distinctly remember when you were giving a training in the um, chapel of the Trujillo South um, <laughs> Mission uh, Chapel, Mission Home, where you used the imperative form of a verb instead of the subjunctive. You used the wrong verb tense. I remember it. You were wrong. That is a perfect call out. Uh, Mark hopefully is shaking with red embarrassed cheeks uh, in his Alabama jersey. So maybe it just, you know, washes out. You can't really tell he's blushing or embarrassed. Uh, but yes, Mark, we are very disappointed in you and your Spanish in that one uh, instance. Um, Coog's winning though, right? Coog's winning. Are winning. Can I just say, 97% of our fans voted for BYU. It's sad that that's not 100 but in that 100%, we're starting to get engagement from the players again, which is fun. One of the people that voted for Keaton and the boys was Gabe Judy Lolly from, <laughs> you know, a player at the University of Tennessee. So <laughs> even after the fact, he's still engaged. Love that. Gabe Judy Lolly, you were a guest on our podcast. You're welcome back anytime. That's awesome that he voted for Keaton and the boys. He's also welcome back at BYU anytime that he wants to come back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you graduated in three years from Vanderbilt. Like, you got to have some eligibility left. Like, <laughs> uh, Anyway, that was a fun episode. Make sure everybody go check out the Weekend Watch Guide. It'll be very helpful this week. There will be a lot of green on this week's Weekend Watch Guide. A lot of green. Um, basically, if you have, you know, NBC, CBS, Fox, ABC – just keep those on all day long and you'll be good. Uh, but yeah, Weekend Watch Guide, it's going to be very helpful this week. Heck yeah. Make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever other platform you may be listening to the show on. We appreciate the feedback. And if you leave any questions for us there in the review or in our DMs, we will answer. We always love fan engagement. We love you guys. We can't wait to talk to you next week after another BYU victory. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. Bye-bye now. We love you. Goodbye now. <laughs>